Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast. Now, a number of weeks ago, I joined a podcasting network on Facebook where you basically get to share your ideas and your stories, and from time to time, they allow you to share your actual podcast itself. So I did so, I shared the details, shared the links, and not really thinking much of it. I was hoping maybe that somebody would share it or even get a few listens out of it, but I wasn't really expecting anybody to get in touch and looking to be on the podcast. But as it so happened, a few days later, I got an email and the email gave me the story of the potential guest and I just knew looking at it that it was the perfect story for the podcast because it has such an inspirational and motivational meaning behind it, but it, it comes from initially a dark place. It comes from someone going through a lot of trauma um, as a child and been able to work through that and use that as an inspiration. And that email was from someone who was representing a guy called Stephen Benedict. And Stephen is a professional athlete. He was a Nike-sponsored athlete who ran in the Adidas Diamond League. He was a Olympic trials qualifier, and he's competed in many, many events around America and in Europe at a very, very high level. But his story is all the more remarkable, and his success in sport is all, more, all the more remarkable due to the fact of such a turbulent and abusive childhood, which he talks openly and candidly about in this podcast in the hope that Anyone listening can be inspired by his resilience and mental fortitude to get through that hard time, but also to be able to use his story to inspire others. He's currently writing a book. In fact, his book has just been published. He's currently creating a foster care program for for kids in America who are going through the foster care system to try and make that process a little bit easier on them and a bit more positive. But you'll hear all about that in the podcast, but just... To whet your appetite, here's a little bit of what you can expect. Uh, we were living in and out of motel rooms at the time, very unstable situation, very you know volatile situation. She was dating another guy and he pretty much thought fit to lay his hands on us whenever he had the chance and was feasible for him to kind of let out his emotional distress and everything else. Um, that went on for quite, uh, quite a bit and you know, there, there were some repercussions for that. You know, I was hospitalized at a very young age. As some of you already know, this podcast exists as a platform for others to share their story in the hope that it inspires you to share yours. And I can honestly say that I don't think I've ever heard a more inspiring story um, from what you're about to hear. Stephen, you're very welcome on to Think Curiously podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, you know, when I first received the email from Deborah, as I mentioned to you previously, um, the information that was within maybe two or three paragraphs, there was so much in there to unpack. And I suppose reading it in paragraph form doesn't really do it justice. And that's why I'm appreciative of you to come on here and share that story. So if you would, um, just to start us off, can you take us back sort of to the start of your story from the childhood and then we can build from there? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's it's been quite a roller coaster ride. You know, I I was I was put into I was put into foster care at four months. Um, you know, from my mother, just just an unstable situation and a lot of neglect and and just uh, provision wasn't there. And not too long after that, I was put back into her hands. Then my brother was born and. Uh, we were living in and out of motel rooms at the time, very unstable situation, very, you know, volatile situation. She was dating another guy and he pretty much thought fit to lay his hands on us whenever he had the chance and was feasible for him to kind of let out his emotional distress and everything else. Um, that went on for quite, uh, quite a bit. And 
you know, there, there were some repercussions for that. You know, I was hospitalized at a very young age. And then, you know, after, after that period of time, my grandparents had found out about it. And, you know, they took us in for a short period of time. But them being elderly, you know, trying to handle two toddlers at their age was not sustainable. So the next best option for us was to go back into foster care. And we went back into foster care for about another six years bounced around up and down the East Coast um, until we finally settled into a semi-permanent, you know, foster home, you know, for about the last three years of our experience within the foster care system. And, uh, you know, then we, then we were lucky enough to be gratefully blessed and adopted by two great individuals. My mother was a second grade teacher, um, very influential, impacted not only our lives, but countless amounts of other children's lives, whether they were in the States or also internationally in Japan, she taught English. So um, she was involved in everything. And, you know, she was pretty much the iron fist of the family. And um, my father, my father was, uh, he fought in the Vietnam War, ex-Marine, and then went on to work for Merrill Lynch on the New York Stock Exchange. So there was, a, there was a, a really good dynamic between the two of them. Um, my mother was very bold and very, you know, outspoken and protective of us. And my father was very joyful and kind of the joy of life and very happy and just um, very laid back. And those two dynamics really helped us to kind of evolve and transition from our foster care experience to an adoption setting into a family setting, you know, which was pretty much an open door policy for us with them. They were very accepting, not only them, but the whole family as a whole, which was, uh, you know, different. It was different for us. And, and, and there was a lot of things we had to work through a lot of trust issues and a lot of, you know, acceptance issues and, and wondering if this was permanent, if it was stable, you know, all of those things, because my childhood was very accelerated. I had to be a father figure for my brother at a very young age, you know, and, um, um, so there was a lot of kind of lost years in there, you know, and, and not really living as a kid. And that didn't really happen until after I was adopted. Um, fast forwarding a little bit, you know, we, we went through our high school years exposed to so many different things, you know, as far as music, art and education and sports uh, that really gave us that well-roundedness and that uh, second chance at life to really, to really do something. And, um, not too long after that, in our early 20s, uh, post-high uh, post school, you know, kind of finishing up our college years, um, my mother was diagnosed with bone marrow cancer. And well, sorry about we, that. yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough experience. It was, you know, um, f you know, if you're familiar with cancer, the, some of the most aggressive cancers, there's three most aggressive cancers. You have brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, and bone marrow cancer. The most three aggressive ones that you can possibly get and the chances of overcoming them are very slim. And um, we watched her being the boldest and most outspoken woman and the strongest entity within our lives up until that point deteriorate to pretty much nothing within a year and having eight reconstructive surgeries. Um, and winding up losing her battle within a year, um, which was very tough for us and, and us being the athletes that we are and, and me as, as well as strength is the foundation of, you know, pretty much who I am and resilience. And, um, but to sit there and watch, you know, 
somebody that has been so uh, a, a staple within your life that you can't do anything that you don't have the strength to help her uh, that, you know, that was, it was tough to do. And even, even in her last days, she was consistent in her character. And, you know, she told us that, you know, that, you know, that everything's going to be okay. You know, and this is her telling us while she's really pretty much dwindling away. So that, that really, you know, tells you what type of uh, woman she was, what type of person she was and, you know, and then how much she really put into, you know, her life. Um, and, you know, our, our, our second bloke, only about three or four years after that, my father was visiting his, his brother down in Florida and they were at a retirement home, which ultimately my father wanted to move to and live to. And they drive golf carts around down there. And, and one night coming home, they um, took a wrong turn and my father got thrown from the golf cart and hit his head in all the crucial areas, putting him into an irreversible coma. Um, after a week of diagnoses and talking to every doctor under the sun, the main cause of everything that was really deteriorating him was the swelling and the bleeding and everything within the skull that they couldn't stop. And me being the oldest had to make the executive decision based upon his life and how he lived as a man um, and the joy of life that that's not what he would wanted. And I had to take him off life support. Um, so it was tough, you know, those, those it was almost like our, our life came full circle again. Uh, you know, we started off and, you know, we we're kind of in and out of family situation. We had parents and then we were in foster care and then, you know, we got adopted and then we wound up losing everything again. So, um, but a lot of lessons were learned and a lot of character building in there. And, um, but, that post era after that was a really dark time for me. You know, it was, it was really a lot of, you know, kind of the, the dark side of the soul aspect of searching and, and trying to find myself again and trying to know who I was, not only as an athlete, but as a man and, and just really weeding through all of those emotions. And um, it's been a process and it's, you know, it's, it's definitely been a process. And, but uh I feel like uh, I've come out of the, the, the dark tunnel um, uh, with the light at the end of the tunnel and, and I've, I've made some really big strides in what I'm doing and I'm really excited for the things that are coming up and uh, what this story means and what the story is going to do for not only not only for, for my good, but for the benefit of everybody else that is going through things. Yeah, what I think is so special about that story, Stephen, is there's been so many hurdles put in your place. You know, there's been so many things that the average person could literally have just laid down and taken. I think, you know, that, uh, well, for example, the foster care situation at the very start, it could be, well, I'm not wanted. So what's the point of me even trying anymore? And then when you get someone who actually does love you and that family network and support network and then everything that happens to you from then, it can be very easy just to go, I'm not doing this anymore. Forget about it, you know. I suppose in many ways, the sport background, the athletic background, because you talked about your mom there having through the arts and helping so many more people, that must be a character trait then that you have, you've picked up on and you have then made part of who you are. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I definitely, she, she definitely was a, a big role in, in developing all that aspect. And, you know, we, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, and, but um, I think that's natural and, and I think that's, just because she was very bold and, and I had to be very bold when I was 
at an early age. So, you know, you get that clash sometimes, but uh, it, it, you know, you, you look back on these types of situations and, you know, um, there's things that you remember and there's things that you don't remember and really try to, you know, pull the lessons from it and, and, and pull the highlights from it of, okay, yes, this particular experience wasn't my favorite and, you know, I didn't enjoy going through it, but how, how did it build me that where I am now, that that's a direct correlation of where I was. And I think that's, that's something that is, is a, a work in progress for everybody. And, and I think we have either, we have two alleyways we can go. We can either, we can go the, the victim mentality and say, Oh, you know, like, you know, just speaking in my perspective of things is, you know, I could sit there and say, yeah, like nobody wanted me and I was abandoned and, you know, I was forgotten and, and all of these things where, you know, it, it wasn't a fair, I wasn't dealt a fair hand and I didn't have the chances that I should have had and, and, and those types of things, but that's not going to benefit me. And that's really, you know, and, and I've been in that experience and I've been in that mentality and I've had some really, really great people step into that for me and, and bring that to light for me. And, and, you know, and I think that in order to see those things, we need to step out of our own ego. Um, and in order to really see the light and be like, okay, no, yes, this story or this, this journey is hard and it was hard, but where you are now, there's gotta be a reason for it. Right. And that reason is to be a catalyst and not a crutch. And was sport kind of a way for you to, to channel some of that emotion um, when you were at a younger age and use it as a motivating factor for you? Yeah, you know, the sports that I did were, were so vast. And, and, and um, so one, my first sport was judo. I did, uh, I did martial arts. I did judo for, you know, a good uh, eight to ten years. And that kind of laid the foundation for me of discipline and, and um, just really learning a different – culture um because it was under japanese tutelage and and i really enjoyed this sport and like i said it, it really built the foundation for me and then you know from there i played i played everything i you know from soccer to baseball to track to football and you know like all of them definitely helped me with my work ethic definitely helped me with my mindset um but none more so than you know i guess the martial arts but then also the you know also being in the track and field realm, you know, because it's such a soul sport and it's such you against the clock and it's whatever you put into it. It's not a team sport. And a lot of the things that I do as an athlete translate so well to life in general. And when I speak about them, you know, it's, it's just, there's so much correlation there that, um, you know, it, it's a seamless transition for me. I guess with the likes of the likes of the martial arts and judo and track and field, it's it's one on one, isn't it? It's you and a coach, you know. So I guess if it was a sport, if it was a team sport like football or soccer, that individual connection might get lost. And in someone who's growing up through those teenage years, going through high school and all of the problems and emotions and things that that brings on, right? Having a coach or having somebody else there outside of that uh, is bound to have some kind of way helped help you on guide you towards where you're going to now eventually. Yes, definitely. And I think that's very important, especially nowadays with the, with the youth that are growing up, they need the guidance, they need the, 
they need those shifts. They need those extra eyeballs on them to kind of, to really just have their hand, have your hand on their shoulder and kind of like, you know, walk them down the path a little bit and try to make it as seamless and as possible. So that like, Hey, like, you know, I'm here, I've already done this and this is where I am. So let me help you make it a little more seamless so you don't make the same mistakes that I do. And of course there's going to be, you know, there's going to be times that they have to make the mistakes because, you know, I think within our mistakes and our, and our failures and our downfalls, that's when we learn the most. All the coaches that I've had, you know, whether they be, whether they were good, whether they were, you know, bad, um, there was always something there. There was always something to pull from there. Um, whether it be a short time period, a long time period, you know, there's, there's always that interaction and you, and you get to know yourself and you get to feel yourself and you, you get to be more self-aware because, you know, my sport, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm on the track and then I'm getting, my coaches are yelling cues at me to, you know, whether it be to, you know, lift my knees, swing my arms, you know, hit flat or anything like that. And so by registering those types of pathways in your brain and, you know, you, you build up that, that self-awareness. Yeah. Cause it's certainly something that I, I realize and I, I work in financial situation or a financial institution, I should say, but outside that I, I coach soccer. And I see that and I see the connections and I can see that the kids coming from school and having issues and maybe put parental issues and the sport is an escape for them. You know, when it gives them something to look forward to and it gives them something to be able to aim towards that they can potentially achieve in. At what point in your life then did sports start to become something that you could focus on for the long haul and understand this could potentially be a career for me? I think it's patience more than anything and trying not to get ahead of ourselves um, of where we are and you know I think nowadays we want things so quickly and we want things so fast is that you know we forget that it's a process and it's it's it takes time and getting around the atmosphere and then just kind of broadening my horizons within the races that I've run and you know whether it be minor races or whether it be international world races um, you know and I was very lucky to be exposed to that arena at a very young age. My high school was a, a, a pretty good track team and I was part of their varsity team, but we went, we were second in the state. And then we went on to running in like uh, international meets like pen relays and things like that, which opened up the doors to really see what the, what the sport was about and kind of feel that atmosphere and get into it. And so that was kind of like my first taste of things and, you know, and then moving on to, you know, bigger meets and, and going into college and, and, and that all aspect. So I think it's an exposure factor uh, and uh, which I think is very important, you know, and, you know, a lot of the coaches nowadays, you know, especially in high school, they, they, they stay within their kind of like their group or their section and they never get outside. The kids never get to see, what the sport is or they never get to really expand their horizons in another area, whether they get to travel once a year to a, a bigger race or something like that. I think that's important because the sport is the sport needs it. For sure. And just as we, we are on that point about the sport and, and the career before we move on, how did the Olympic trials come about then? How did that process happen for you from someone who got into the sport and then didn't really decide that it was going to be a career per se? It was something that, that, that happened. How did the Olympic trials and that whole thing come about then? You know, I was, uh, I was running for Nike for two years at that time. And then, you know, within that, within that period, there was you know, a lot of races that were happening and I was back East and, and um, then, you know, you, you just really, 
you're, you're gathering up qualifying time. So, you know, you qualify under the parameters in which you needed to. And I established that and, you know, had, had the chance to qualify and, and, and go. And, um, obviously there was a lot of stress on me at the time. And, um, you know, I wound up getting hurt and wound up tearing my hamstring, which, you know, put a big setback on things and, you know, pulled me from the, pulled me from the sport post, uh, the 2012 Olympic games, you know, and, uh, um, for about two years or so to kind of reassess who I was, where I was going and, you know, really try to clean up some things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a process. It definitely is a process and it's different for every country, um, in the way that they have their standards set up, you know, uh, here being the U S is, is, is a little more dynamic and it's a little more, um, aggressive, you know? Um, so, you know, the pool's a lot larger to pull from. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was a great experience and, and, um, I'm just looking forward to what's coming now uh, and where I am now in my career. So yeah, and that's that's kind of where where you're at now is obviously coming down to lockdown. We've we've had all of this free time to think and and to maybe to plan on what's next and what we can do next to keep pushing ourselves on. And this is where this podcast came from was was lockdown as well. So you've just recently published a book, um, mm-hmm. Good Morning Superstar where intentions set the tone and habits align you to shine. So can you just explain a little bit about what the book entails and, um, and the stories that we can find inside that? Yeah. So uh, I took a very simplistic approach to it. This is my first book. And then, you know, I just really wanted to get something out that was impactful, but simple and people can integrate into their daily lives and that would add to their lives and it wouldn't take away, you know, because you know, everybody's, everybody's trying to figure out what's the next step and, one of the biggest things that we need to do right now is really keep our heads together and, you know, really keep our self-awareness together and really just to work on ourselves. This is a time to kind of reset, you know, and, and to, to work on all the areas in which, you know, we, we really overlook and we really take it granted for. And, um, and we just go through the daily life and the daily cycles. And I think that now that there has been like quarantines and there has been like, um, very close to close contact where you're maybe stuck in the house with, you know, your family intimately on a daily basis. And, you know, there are a lot of things that are, that are happening in those conversations and, and, and interactions and that are popping up that, you know, you probably would just overlook on your daily basis because you're going to work, you're coming home, you're having dinner, you're going to bed, you're doing it all over again. You know, now it's a little different. Um, so the approach to this book, like I said, was very simplistic. There's, it's basically, it's a 90 day book and you do a chapter a day. Um, there's a quote followed by a short parable that was written by me and how that quote has really kind of shaped that day for me or how I've used it or what it means to me on kind of expanded on it a little bit for myself. And then there's two questions that are following that follow that parable, which is an empowering question and also a take action question. And those are in there because I feel that when we ask ourselves better questions, we get better results. And I think this is a great time to start asking ourselves some really valuable questions, you know, and, and realigning ourselves with our own values and, and what we stand for and what we believe in. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of uh, standing tall right now and, and preparation is key for everybody. So I think that the first step in that is really keeping your mindset together. 
for sure. And even in the process of writing a book, I'm sure it was a deep level of self-reflection for you, you know, to, to pen your thoughts and to pen what each of those quotes meant to you. You must have um, resonated on a deeper level so you could understand your thoughts and emotions more, maybe. Yeah, there, there definitely was. And, and each one is, is specifically chosen, you know, it's chosen, chosen by me. And obviously, and, um, you know, and, and like I, I, I sat down and, and just kind of like realized and, and looked at it and reflect on it. How, how did I, how does that impact my life and how, how do I resonate with that? And just try to take the most honest approach to it as possible from my point of view. And hopefully uh, some of those things just really translate to when people read it as from a very human standpoint and you know, a very natural standpoint. It's, it's not a, it's not a book of, you know, telling you this, this, and this steps are going to get you here. It's, you know, it's really just taking your time and, and taking your time to get through it. You know, 90 days is, is about, you know, is, is three months. And, um, you know, and that's where change happens within that. And it's all about, you know, starting some type of change and, you know, moving the needle somewhere in your life and re reassessing how you're thinking and your thought patterns and how you approach your day and your emotional settings and, and things like that. So, you know, the best time to do it is, is in the morning, the first 20 minutes in the morning, that's when we're the most absorbent in our mind and kind of, we can mold things and, and shape our day. Um, so I recommend doing it at that time. Um, it's very easy, very simple. Like I said, it's not going to take, it's not going to take even nearly like 10 minutes, you know, but it'll, it'll put you in that, it'll put you in that mindset and the questions you take with you all day you now. And they're great because, you know, they'll pop up later in the day and you can ask yourself that question, whether it be put into a certain scenario or some other situation shows up, you know, how, how do you react towards that? Uh, and um, that's just becoming social and emotional um, aware of who you are and, and what you're doing. I love that. I'm, I'm a fan of reading myself and I read the likes of Malcolm Gladwell and Simon Sinek and mm. my, um, a guy called Matthew Syed, he's over here in the UK, but all of their books are written with the sort of underpinning hope that you will then go and self-explore the stories, you know, that right. they, they, they give you stories of maybe situations you've never heard before, but it's you putting your own meaning to that. And I guess in many ways, when anyone reads your book and is reading the quotes, yes, you wrote them and they resonate with you at a level, but then they've got to go and find what that means to them. So that, that just promotes that level of self-awareness, which, which I think is, is a lot more beneficial than just simply reading something, putting the chapter or closing the book, sorry, and then just walking off. Right. Because it has to be something you continually think about in order to make that change. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, and now that's where all the neural pathways and things that come in, you know, it's like, you know, we got to, we have to really switch our, our mindsets and we have to really start building different alleyways, you know, because we're creatures of habit, you know, and we build up these habits and the more we build up that habit, the more consistent our brain wants to really shift towards that feeling or that emotion or that, that reaction. Um, in, and a lot of times we're reacting to certain situations instead of responding to them, you know? So, um, so yeah, you know, and, and that's my hope for it, you know, and, and I hope people, you know, take away something for it and, and are, you know, whether it be a day or two days or something that really sparks them to kind of go back forth. And, you know, it, it can be read over and over and over again, because every time I feel, you know, something new will, will catch you as you as you start developing. One of the books I'm reading at the minute is The Daily Stoic. 
Mm. And yeah. it's just little quotes of Stoic. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's 325 quotes, I think. Yeah. And I think I've read the same quote, you know, three or four times, just as you said there. It's something you can go back and re-reference and, and rethink about, which, which I think is brilliant because it gives you a more deeper understanding as well. Um, but the, some of the proceeds from the book are also then been going to, to help some foster charities. Is that correct? Yeah. So all, all the proceeds are going to help foster families and also aging out youth uh, right now for the holidays, to, for a more sustainable holiday. So everything goes towards that, um, you know, which is near and dear to my heart, obviously from my background, where I came from. So it's just really kind of the first stepping stone for me of just to give back and to provide and, you know, and to pr protect this space and to try to just be a voice in it and to know that, that they're not left alone and they're not forgotten and, you know, to really kind of get rid of that abandonment mindset. Yeah, it's kind of a beautiful story in many ways because your life went full circle, right? From experiencing the foster care system to now being able to do something that's going to directly, positively, directly impact the work that's done um, through the Seals of the yeah. Book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm, and I'm super happy about it. And, you know, and I feel like, I think, one, it, it's so easy for me to speak on these topics because I've lived them. And I think that's very important. And I think that's very important for anybody that's trying to do something is making sure that you're coming from a place of, you know, authenticity and you're coming from a place that is organic and, you know, that your heart's in it. Uh, because if you're going into it for something for money, then that's going to be very short lived and you're going to be on to the next thing before you know it. What I love, you've mentioned the word that's resonated with me the most of the last three years is authenticity. I'm a massive advocate of it. Um, I've done a podcast actually on Monday with, um, with a friend of mine in the States. And that's what we talked about, authenticity. And, and it, that's key and able to be, to be able to share your story and for it to have the impact. You couldn't pretend to be someone you're not, right? I mean, because you've lived through the experiences, as you've said. And we've, we've mentioned you went full circle. But the next sort of thing in your, in your eyesight, in your eyeline next year is the Fostering Success Programme. And if no one has been onto the website or doesn't know anything about it, there's a, a really sweet video where you're talking to a kid um, about the program and about his experiences, which I, I thought was, that had me fascinated as soon as I, I seen it, you know, it was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. You know, that project's been on the back burner for, you know, I want to say about two years. And now it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like hit the hit hit the floor running. And, um, you know, God has put, put a lot of good people around it for me and, you know, and, uh, um, I'm just really excited for what's to come. It's really being reinvented from where it was to where it is now and, and what is being offered through the program. And it's all about reformation in that space and, and having tangible changes and really moving the needle in some bill issues and making the process a little more streamlined for some of these families, whether it be foster families or adopted families. And also really giving the resources to the kids, the kids to prepare them, not only for, you know, transitioning from foster care to adoption, but also for the kids that have aged out of foster care, where those resources are pretty much left to their own survival mode. Um, because once they turn 18, you know, the, the, the government pretty much washes their hands of them and, and, you know, they they're just left out in the streets, you know, within three months, you know, a lot of them are homeless, you know, they're incarcerated, they're, they're, you know, in, into drugs, or, you know, a lot of them have been sexually trafficked as well. Uh, um, and even 
a lot of have, have shown up dead. So, you know, it's, it's a really big issue and it's really near and dear to my heart. And it's something that, you know, I feel really is time for some change in it. And, um, that's what, uh, that's what the project stands for. That's what the organization is going to stand for and the core values of it. And, you know, just, uh, being a voice and, and changing what nonprofits look like, what they stand for and, you know, and, and what value they bring. Yeah, I really do think it has a lot of worth for a number of reasons. One, because like I said before, that's the authenticity element. Uh, you know, you are there, people can contact you. They, they know who you are. They've, you're, you're so open and willing to share your story, which is relatable. But the other element I think, um, whenever I hear you speak there, is that those, those kids who come out of the foster care system at 18 years old, you, you are essentially a tangible role model for them, right? It's not that you're hiding behind a desk or behind, um, you know, a, a title or, or any kind of thing, you're there, they know who you are, and that might then help redirect them into volunteering into that the, the, the success program, or it could essentially mean that they then go look at other field, potentially education out of it. Again, because you're being authentic and telling your story. Yeah, I think, I think that's super important. And I think that's, that's the only way we, that's the only way we relate to situations, you know, and, and my story is no more important than anybody else's story. It's just really how, how I'm using it right now. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, with these kids, it's, it's all about being able to relate to them. Right. And, and being able to bring ourselves down from a position of talking down to them to bringing them down to an eye level position in which they can, you can look them in the eye and that they understand. And it's like, you know, that you're not telling them, Hey, do this, this, and this, and you're not barking orders at them. You're just being like, Hey, I'm just like you, you know, my hands are just as messy as yours are. I've been through it. I know what you're going through. Um, so let me help you and we'll take this thing step by step and, you know, push you in the right direction because, you know, like you leave it up to them and they have no choice. You know, it's either, it's either they have the help and they have the resources or they're going to have to go out and get it on their own. And the only way us as humans do that is we switch into survival mode. And that means at any cost, my survival is most important. And that means anything, anything that stands in my way, I'm going to overpower it in order to get what I need to get in order to survive just today. I'm not worried about tomorrow, but I'm worried about today. And those are the essentials, like having a roof over your head and having a, um, a bed to sleep in at night and having a warm meal to eat at night. Those are the essentials and we lose sight of those things. And, and I think if we can just get back to the basics, that will be, we'll be better across the board in every situation. Yeah, it comes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs in many ways, isn't it? You know, if you provide them with the right elements and the right nutrition and the right support, then they will eventually grow. Yeah. Um, and that's just the other thing I was wanting to sort of ask you about the, the Foster and Success Program, because um, what I also find quite sweet was the little guy that you were speaking to in the video on the website. Mm. He mentioned that it was the moving between houses that he didn't like the most. Yeah. Um, and I, that gave me a real insight sort of into how that must feel for a young child to be, be going through all these different houses, not really knowing where he's going to be or end up or who he's going to be with. And I guess the program that you have in place has that support network to be able to educate him and on why 
he's going through that or potentially what the, the, the positive outcomes would be? Yeah, there, there, there's, um, there's quite a few things that are happening, you know, and we've built quite a few areas around that, um, which were very important uh, and has developed. So like social emotional learning programs to help them work through those things, leadership programs. Um, uh, and, you know, those are just some of the, you know, few things that we have coming out within the platform that have been added on to everything. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a very big, that's a very big issue uh, for these kids that are in foster care and that, that bouncing around and that instability and trying to find their footing and really figure out where do I belong? You know, what, what is my next step? Where am I going next? Where is permanent? What's not permanent? These are all questions that only that are not only in that moment in which that experience is happening, but they they carry over later into their into the latter parts of their lives. And you know, it, it's it's an ongoing filter and an ongoing peeling back of the onion and working through the layers of things, you know, because after after they do become adopted and that transition happens it's not over, you know, and the, and the work is not over because there's still a lot of trauma that's underlying there. And those things, they, they come out over time. And for, to have an open door policy for, for these kids, whether it be within the home. And I, I strongly urge the, the parents to have these conversations and, and to have that open door policy because they need an outlet. And if you aren't the first line of defense for them, and if you aren't the, the first resources in which they go to, they're going to get it from somewhere else, whether it be social media, whether it be out in the world somewhere. And that is not where you want them going, digging for answers in which they should be getting from the home space, from mom and dad and, you know, and what leaders look like and, you know, what are the roles in the house look like? And, you know, you know, the, these are core things that, that need to be developed and that are really being lost sight of, because of everything else that's going on. And it's not only within this space, it's within families as general. Um, you know, uh, you know, divorce rates and, and, and abuse is, is at an all time high right now because of everything that's happening because people are staying within close quarters, which with, within people that they really thought that they knew, but they don't know uh, because they haven't taken the time to, to have those conversations with each other intimately and work through those back areas. So these are all, these are all other, you know, that's a whole another different conversation that, uh, you know, can be unpacked at another time. But, um, but yeah, like that open door policy is so, so important for these kids, you know, especially coming from this area to, to really be able to know that they're safe, that they're heard, that they're seen. Um, and that they can ex express themselves and they're not going to be reprimanded because they're expressing themselves in a way that they only know how to, you know, you can, you can deal with how they express themselves after the fact and start asking them questions so that they can answer the questions on them on their own. That's the best way we can do it. And that's why those questions are in the book Good morning superstar, because like I said, when we ask ourselves the questions, we put our mindset in a space in which we're constantly, whether we have that, that answer within that moment, it'll reiterate. So it's like, you know, you, you ever try to figure out during the day when we're, you're like, Oh, I forgot this. And I knew what it was. It's on the tip of my tongue and whatever. And you can't remember it in the morning. And then later on in the day, it kind of pops up. 
Well, that's because your subconscious mind is working on that answer throughout the day. You know, and it's constantly working out the answers and trying to filter out like, oh, where, let me look through the files in the back of my head. You know, so, you know, these are the things that, that are, you know, need to be worked on and, and the conversations that need to be had. So, uh, you know, and I, I really hope that the, the things that I'm doing makes that shift. Yeah. And I suppose in many ways, just to, to round off the podcast, if you were to think back now with the experience that you've had and you had a chance to speak to a six, seven, eight-year-old you, what kind of things would you say to them? Oh, gosh. You know, I think, um, you know, some of the things that have been told to me, you know, at, a, at, a, at a, an early age, like the thing that my mother told me when she was on her, on, in her last couple of days, that everything's going to be all right. That's super important that, uh, you know, I wish I heard earlier, you know, and, you know, definitely uh, patience and you know just just to be patient and um you know i think i think one of the biggest things for me is to you know just just to let your guard down a little bit you know let your guard down a little bit you know just don't walk don't walk around with these walls up you know you'll 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 learn you'll learn to filter out what's good and what's bad but don't go into a situation with an already um, predetermined outcome because of your past experience, you know, and I think that that's super important. And I've done that a lot. Uh, and you, you go into a situation where it's like, all right, you know, you get a hint, you get a hint of something that might resemble something that happened in the past. And you're already, you're already halfway out the door and you're already like, Nope, I already know how this one's going to work out. No, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll pass on this. And, and we lose opportunities in that and we lose hindsight because, you know, we're all right. We're, we're playing fortune tellers you now and we're already predicting the future and we don't know what the future is like. So I think, uh, living in the moment and just not being so defensive. Yeah. Almost, uh, not letting your past define you in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Brilliant. Stephen, as I said at the very start, I truly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story. Um, all of the contact details, all of the information on the book and the Foster Success Program will all be linked in the show notes um, and they'll be tagged on all of, the, all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, so we'll have loads of exposure for people to get in contact with you and hear your story and hopefully somewhere along the line, someone feels inspired to be able to tell, tell their story after hearing yours. Yeah, that would be great. I think that's so important. Uh, I, I hope, I hope, you know, and I appreciate the platform you give people to do that. You know, I think it's very important to do that, to express themselves, you know, and you know, I think you know, just the you know, overall message for everything is like, you know, there's, there's no wrong approach to it, you know, and I think that more so than anything, and we touched on this already, more so than anything, what, what we need more than ever right now is, as just a, a human race is authenticity. You know, people want to know that they're not alone in the things that they go through. Super. Thank you so much, Stephen. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I said at the very start that it was probably one of the most emotive stories that I've read in my time doing this podcast. And I don't think I'm too far off the mark when I say that. You listen to what he went through as a child and everything he had to deal with at such a young age and then you look at the success that he had in the sporting arena 
and you can't help but think that the experiences early on in his life really set the tone for that motivation for that resilience that mental fortitude to continually look for self-improvement and it takes a really strong mind to do that but i also think that it tells us a number of things as well is that yes at times when life does get hard we can put tools down and we can almost feel like surrendering but there are those challenges that come your way that give you chances to learn and chances to grow and no matter your circumstance no matter your situation always look for those moments look for those times that you can take you can harness and you can move forward with it'll be difficult it's not going to be easy just like Stephen's story but it is possible I'll say that again it is possible now if you would like to buy the book and hear a little bit more about Stephen's story you can certainly do that the book is titled Good Morning Superstar where intention set the tone but habits align you to shine Thank you once again. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and have a great week.